And Lord, now I just want to pray for for us as we move into studying your word together. Would you move with power, Lord? Thank you for the scriptures, the very words of God in this book. Thank you for giving the Bible to us. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to hear today and hearts to respond today. And I need your help, Lord. Help me. Give me wisdom and give me revelation by the work of the Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good. Well, thanks for sharing testimonies. Uh, As I was studying this passage, the, the thought that was going in my mind was that the Bible teaches that uh, Satan is prowling around. You know this verse in 1 Peter 5. Satan's prowling around like a roaring lion seeking to devour those who are trusting Christ. That's what Satan's doing. He's prowling, seeking to devour believers. And the way that he seeks to devour believers is by tempting us to sin. That's what temptation is. Temptation is Satan's attempt to devour you. I want you to see temptation from that perspective. So let's say this week you're tempted to lie to your boss to protect your job. What's happening with that temptation is Satan is seeking to devour you. That's what's going on there. Or if this week you're tempted to uh, harbor a grudge against someone and not forgive someone, that, that temptation is Satan seeking to devour you. That's what's happening as you're being tempted. Or if you're, if you're tempted just to, to stop seeking to move out into your neighborhood and, and help people come to faith, you just want to, there's just too much hassle, it's too much discomfort. I just want comfort, I want some ease. If you're being tempted just to pull back from the mission, That temptation is Satan seeking to devour you. So every day temptations are coming our way and what those temptations are is Satan seeking to devour us. Now here's the good news. God does not leave us defenseless. God gives us a powerful counter resistance to Satan's temptations. He gives us in his word how we can resist temptation. And that is unfolded in today's passage in the book of Hebrews. So I want us to turn there together. It's Hebrews chapter 11, verses 23 through 28. Hebrews 11, 23 to 28. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We want to bring one to you to use this morning. Hebrews 11, 23 to 28. In the Bibles we're passing out, it's page 1008. So go ahead and turn there, 1008. I love this passage. I would really encourage you to memorize verses 23 to 28 in Hebrews 11. I've been working on these for the last year. It's been very encouraging to me. This is all about Moses, the story of Moses. And what the author says here about Moses helps us answer four crucial questions. And the first one that I want us to focus on is what does faith do when it faces temptation? Or, or what happens when temptation comes and you have faith in God? What happens when faith faces temptation? Now, to answer that question, the author tells us the story. It doesn't start with Moses. It starts with Moses' parents. And you know the story. The people of Israel were slaves in Egypt under the thumb of a brutal, ruthless dictator, Pharaoh. Amazing power. 
and they were slaves making bricks, oppressed, and they kept having babies. More and more and more babies. And the Pharaoh became concerned because the Hebrew people were having so many babies, they were soon going to outnumber the Egyptian people. And so he made an edict, a law, where he said any Hebrew baby boy must be drowned in the Nile River. Period. And then Moses is born to his parents. There's Moses, a baby boy, a Hebrew baby boy who Pharaoh said must be drowned in the Nile River. So there's the parents knowing that there's this edict. He's commanded them to drown their baby boy. And they would have known that God wouldn't want them to do that. They would have loved their boy. They wouldn't have wanted to do that. But they also know that if they don't follow the Pharaoh's edict and he finds out not only would their baby be killed, but they'd all be killed. So you can feel that the temptation that they would have been facing here. Here's the temptation. Are they going to obey the king's edict or are they going to obey God? It's the question they're facing. And what did they do? So what does faith do when it faces temptation? Look at verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edicts. Now, let's just focus on that phrase, they saw that the child was beautiful. Let's talk about that just so I can explain what that means. When I've read that, I always thought, okay, so they thought their baby was cute, you know, every parent thinks their baby's the cutest parent, the cutest baby in the world, right? It means much more than that. That Greek word beautiful is used twice, only twice in the New Testament. The one other time it's used, it's in Acts chapter 7, verse 20. I think I put that reference in your notes. And it's describing Moses. And it says that Moses was beautiful in God's eyes. So what this means is, back to Hebrews, is that his parents saw that their baby boy was beautiful in God's eyes. That is, God had a calling on this baby. God had a purpose for this baby. A beautiful purpose. Beautiful purpose that God had for him. And so they, they saw that. And so Moses' parents had faith in God. And as a result of their faith, they recognized, as God was showing them, spoke to them, gave them wisdom in some way, Moses has a special calling. It's beautiful in God's eyes. Beautiful purpose and calling God has for him. So as a result of their faith, they knew that that's what God had for Moses. And as a result of their faith, they did not fear the king's edict. We don't care if he kills us. We're going to obey God. Moses has a beautiful calling before God. We're going to obey God. And so what faith did was it resisted and it overcame that temptation. So the question is, what does faith do when it faces temptation? And the answer is, when you have faith in God through Jesus Christ, you will be able to overcome temptation. So yes, Satan's prowling like a roaring lion. Every time you're tempted, he's seeking to devour you. But if we will put our trust in God through Jesus Christ, we will be enabled to overcome the temptations that come our way. Uh, jot down 1 John chapter 5, verse 4. John says, what is the victory that overcomes the world? Remember what the answer is? What's the victory that overcomes the world? Faith. Faith in Jesus Christ is the victory that overcomes the world. 
overcomes temptation, resists temptation. So the answer is faith. So the weapon God has given to us to resist temptation is faith. Another another passage. Remember, there's a shield that Paul says will quench every flaming dart of the evil one. Remember what that shield is? It's a shield of faith. Are you seeing a pattern here? Okay. So when you're tempted, if instead of faith, you just willpower your way through or you try to, Satan's like, ah, devouring time. Okay. But if you will stop and look to God through Jesus Christ and trust him, you'll be able to overcome the temptation. Faith overcomes the temptation. Now, easy to say that. The question is, how? How does faith overcome the temptation? And that's the next story the author tells us. That's the point of verses 24 to 26. This is an amazing passage. Oh, church, if we would see what he teaches us here, this has transformed my Christian life. Let's start with what what was the temptation that Moses faced? And the author describes it in verses 24 to 25. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. So here's what happened. Moses' parents hid him for three months so nobody could see him. But at the end of three months, that was no longer working, so they needed to do something else. And so they hid Moses in the bulrushes by the Nile River. Remember the story? They hid Moses there. And God had Pharaoh's daughter walking by one day, and she found Moses, and Pharaoh's daughter decided to adopt Moses into Pharaoh's family. Amazing juxtaposition of events here. Okay, so Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, decides to adopt him, and then she says, wait a minute, I've got to have somebody nurse him. Has Go out and hire some Hebrew woman to nurse him. Remember who was hired to nurse Moses? Moses' mother. It's amazing how God works. Okay, so there is Moses' mother, a little extra income for the family. She gets to nurse her son Moses, and it's all good. No one's going to kill baby Moses. Moses grows up, and he knows God's now calling him to join, to rejoin, to go back to the people of God, the nation of Israel, the Hebrews. God was calling him to return. But now think of what this would have meant for him. He was the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Pharaoh was the wealthiest man in the world by leaps and bounds. So to put it into into like today's world think of what this would have meant that's the equivalent today is like moses probably had a private jet okay he had a a a waterfront mansion on the nile river he had servants fanning him and feeding him grapes okay he had a, like a you know real classy tesla drive up down the freeways along the nile river okay this is the kind of life i mean he was fabulously wealthy Every comfort, every pleasure, every luxury that was known on the earth was his. This was this opulent lifestyle that he was living. And he knew God had called him to leave Pharaoh's household 
to leave the private jet and the, ocean, the, you know, the waterfront Nile River mansion and the, the high-class Tesla to leave all of that and to join the people of God, to join the Hebrews, the nation of Israel, who were dirt poor, oppressed, beaten, slave labor, slaves. To leave all of that and to join God's people. That's what God called him to do. So can you feel how strong that temptation would have been to not obey God. Can you feel that? Can you feel the like, I'm just kind of being pulled this way. I'm sorry, I'm not feeling any pull that way. Can you feel that? This would have been like an impossible temptation to resist. And truth is, uh, we all have times where we face temptations that feel impossible. Right? You, You are right now, some of you, some of you right now are Yes, right now I'm being tempted, and I, I know it's something I should not do. It would be disobedience to Jesus Christ, but I'm not sure I'm going to be able to resist. And if you're not there, just wait, okay? It'll come. We all have times where we face temptations that feel impossible to resist. So, what did Moses do? How did he overcome this? The answer is by faith, but what did that mean? What did it mean? First look at verse 23. Here's what he did. He refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. This is obedience. He obeyed. He says, I'm I'm a Hebrew. I'm part of those people. Thank you for all you've done. It's time for me to go. Walked out the door into the dirt floor hovels that they lived in. That's what he did. Verse 23. And then verse 24. He was choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Goodbye, private jet. Hello, slavery. Okay? That's what he was deciding to do here. That was his choice. Now, how did he do it? If we can understand what it meant for him to have faith here, how faith overcomes temptations, this could be absolutely life-changing. I'm, I'm praying that this morning, some of you will respond to temptations from now on through your Christian life until heaven. You'll respond differently than you ever have before. This is revolutionary. This is such good news. This is amazing what Moses does in this passage. How did he overcome this temptation? You could think that the way he overcame it was he thought, Greater wealth here with Egypt, lesser wealth, lots of suffering over here. Greater wealth, lesser wealth. I'm supposed to do that one. So I'm just going to choose to do the right thing because it's what God wants me to do. But I'm supposed to do I'm just going to do it. You might think that's how he did it. It's not how he did it. It's not how faith overcomes temptations. What did he do? First of all, the first words in verse 24, it was by faith. Faith is how it happens. And we see what that means in verse 26. He considered the reproach of Christ. Now, let me just unpack that phrase, and then we'll keep doing the rest of the verse. The reproach of Christ. That's the phrase the author uses to describe the suffering that Moses would experience with God's people. And he calls it the reproach of Christ because he wants his readers, us and, and those who read this back in the first century, he wants us to be reminded that following Jesus Christ brings reproach. 
following Jesus Christ on the path of radical, risky love, where you are seeking to advance the gospel, you're seeking to alleviate suffering, especially eternal suffering, following Jesus Christ will mean reproach. It will mean suffering. It will mean difficulty. It's one of the themes of the book of Hebrews. So he wants to, that's why he uses the phrase reproach of Christ. So he says, Moses considered the reproach of Christ, that is, leaving all of that and joining God's people as slaves, he considered the reproach of Christ, I get this, greater wealth, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Okay, so Moses did not say, Look at the greater wealth of Egypt and the lesser wealth, the suffering, the difficulty of joining God's people. I'm going to choose against that because I know God says no. And Okay, I'm going to do this lesser wealth. I'm going I'm to give up the greater wealth for the lesser wealth. That's not what he did. He saw that joining God's people, obeying God, following God's call was greater wealth than all of that. I mean, look at all of that private jet, waterfront, Nile River, mansion, okay? Sports cars, opulence, luxury, I mean, just, just dripping with wealth. And Moses looked over here, the path of obedience, greater wealth. I, I think I'm going to choose the greater wealth. And that's why he chose the path of obedience. It was the greater wealth he chose. See, it's easy to choose the greater wealth, Right? It's very easy to choose. We're all wired to go with the greater wealth. How on earth could Moses think that that is greater wealth? (laughs) Being whipped by slave masters, making bricks in the hot sun, right? Pulling stones for the pyramids. Have you seen those stones? Okay, we're talking about how on earth could that be the greater wealth? Those last words in verse 26. For he was looking to the reward. There's the greater wealth. What's the reward? We've seen it all through the book of Hebrews, and it's from Genesis, the first book of the Bible, all the way through to the book of of Revelation. What is the reward? It's God himself. God is the reward. God is the reward. The prize. He was looking to the reward. Moses knew that making bricks and living in a dirt floor hovel with God's people who were slaves, that that was going to be a greater reward than all of these riches in Egypt because he knew that as he walked the path of obedience, of radical, risk-taking love and obedience to God, he knew that as he walked the path of obedience, God would be there. God would be with him. That as he walked the path of obedience, he would know God. He would behold God. He would fellowship with God. As Psalm 1611 says, in whose presence is fullness of joy. See, the reality is that the joy of knowing God The joy of knowing our creator through Jesus Christ is infinitely more satisfying than anything else the universe can offer. And that is an understatement. Okay? Knowing God through Jesus Christ 
tasting his kindness, letting him pour his love into your heart, seeing his glory, his majesty, fellowshipping with him, worshiping him, talking with him, communing with him, knowing him is infinitely more satisfying than anything else. I was talking to a neighbor yesterday morning. We were, we were walking. And uh, he's from a Muslim background. And he talked about how when he was, when he was young, he did all the different religious rituals because Ramadan was coming up. And, and I said, did you, did you know God? Did you come to know God through that? He said, no. Just, I, just did, I just did the religious things. I, I, didn't, I, didn't know, I still don't know God, he said. And we, we were talking about the Lord and talking about how to come to know God. So see, he was missing the joy of the universe. You were created to have your heart fully satisfied in knowing God. God made you so you could have the joy of knowing him in his love and goodness through Jesus Christ. He is the prize. He is what this is all about. Now, if, you, if you've not yet been saved through trusting Jesus Christ, then you won't be able to relate with that very well. You, you haven't tasted that. It's like, I hear the words, but uh, I, I don't, I mean, this all looks, I can relate to this. You know, that I can relate to. I can feel and imagine that. This, making bricks and having God's presence so real that your heart is leaping for joy. I have no frame of reference for that. Okay, And I understand that's, that's hard for you if you are not yet a follower of Jesus Christ because you haven't tasted yet. All I can say is, when you turn to Jesus Christ, when you've seen your sin like Christopher's friend, and you say, Jesus, forgive me through your death on the cross. Change my heart. Help me. He will so pour his Holy Spirit out upon you at that moment that you will Taste the joy of knowing God, and it will be a joy like you have never known. Never. It's in his presence there's fullness of joy. Or Psalm 73, whom have I in heaven but you, and besides you I desire nothing on earth. God is our infinitely satisfying treasure. So, Moses did not overcome temptation by saying the greater wealth is over here, the lesser wealth is over here. I'm supposed to do that, and so I'm just going to uh, try to you know, do, use my willpower to choose the lesser wealth. That's not what he did. He saw greater wealth because God will be there. That's wealth. That's greater wealth. Which should I choose? I'll choose the greater wealth. And that's how he overcame the temptation. This is crucial because I would guess many of us, when temptations come, what we say is, I, I'm, I'm supposed to be patient now. Just to, take some deep breaths and just try, try to be patient. Or, you know, lust is coming. I'm not supposed to think about that, so I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm just going to stop thinking about that. But what we have to understand is that every temptation, every single temptation promises to satisfy you. That's why you're tempted. John Piper likes to say, nobody sins out of duty. Nobody says, I'm, I'm supposed to lust now. Like, you know, it's been a long time. I say, okay, st- whatever, all right. Nobody sins out of duty. We always sin because it promises us satisfaction. That, that's, that's why you're being tempted. It's like, well, that, that, w- that would make me happy. That would fill me. That would be exciting. That would be pleasurable. So how do we fight the, 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 the call to satisfaction and pleasure? How do you fight that? Just grit your teeth and say Christians aren't supposed to pursue joy. We're not supposed to pursue satisfaction. We just settle for nothing. Is that what we say? 
No, the way you fight the, the temptation with here's some pleasure is with an infinitely greater pleasure, right? It's like do a taste test. See, Satan never wants you to do a taste test. Your heart's empty, okay? And here's this, you know, you could, you could lie on your taxes and get some more money here. Or, so here's, you're, you're empty and I could, I could buy this and then you're, you're kind of drawn to that because your heart is empty. Satan never wants you to do a taste test. What Moses did, he said, wait a minute, there's a greater reward. I could have God satisfying my heart, filling my heart. So when temptation comes, stop and say, well, that's, that's some wealth there. But there's greater wealth. There's a greater wealth. The path of obedience, even if it means suffering, even when it means risk, even when it means cost for the sake of Christ, the path of suffering is always greater wealth because God's on that path. You'll meet God there. God will be there, fellowshipping with you, satisfying you encouraging you, meeting you, filling you, strengthening you. God will be there. So that's how faith overcomes temptation. It's because faith looks to God and says, Father, I'm not, I'm not feeling that you're greater wealth right now. I, I, I'm thinking this is pretty good wealth and I'm not feeling anything from you. But I trust you right now that you can come and change my heart. Bring the work of the Holy Spirit upon me now. Help me to see and feel once again that you are the greatest treasure. And then you open up God's word and you pray over the scriptures ferociously, passionately, energetically, until you experience what God promises he will do. He will bring the Holy Spirit upon you through the word and he will show you Jesus' glory and you will sense his majesty and his love and his goodness and your heart will be filled. That's what will happen. And then when your heart's filled and you see that he's the greater wealth, when you see that this is the greater wealth, this path of obedience, you'll be able to turn from that wealth and pursue the greater wealth. That's how faith overcomes temptation. But there's a problem. Temptations don't just come and then you overcome them and then that's it, right? They keep coming, right? We just keep being tempted, right? You conquer one, it's like, oh, you know, it's, bam, another temptation comes. Or, Satan is relentless. So the question is, how do you keep overcoming temptation when they just keep coming and they keep coming and they keep coming? And that's the point of verse 27. How can faith keep on overcoming temptation. Verse 27, by faith he left Egypt not being afraid of the anger of the king for he endured, there's that word, he endured, he kept going as seeing him who is invisible. So here's what happened. Moses decided, time to leave Pharaoh's house, God's called me, I'm going to go for the greater wealth and he left and there he was with God's people. Remember what happened next? He saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. Hebrews. And Moses killed the Egyptian who was beating the Hebrew, and the word got out. Others saw it. Pharaoh got wind of it and said, Moses has got to be killed. And so Moses had to flee Egypt, and he went to Moab. So this is another temptation. It's like, now he's in Moab where he knows nobody, and he has nothing. You thought Egypt was bad, now he's there in Moab, okay, fleeing for his life. So 
this is a story of how there's ongoing temptation. Temptation continues. Temptation is hard. Temptation is relentless. Some of you have been tempted so many times for so long, you felt like, well, you know, I've, I overcame back here and I overcame back here, but I'm not sure I can keep overcoming. So what did Moses do? It says he endured. He endured. What does endurance mean? It means you stay the course of obedience, no matter the cost, no matter how long, no matter the suffering, no matter the difficulties. Endurance means you keep on obeying. And how did Moses do that? You see the answer? It's those last words in verse 27. Seeing him who is invisible. What keeps you on the path of obedience? What keeps you enduring the, the, the cost, the suffering, the difficulty, the reproach, whatever it might be? What keeps you on the path of obedience is seeing God. It's seeing him. When you see who he is and you experience him being with you there on the path of obedience, you will keep obedience because he will keep strengthening you. He will keep comforting you. He will keep encouraging you. He will keep satisfying you. That's how it it works. So see, if, if you're tempted to throw in the towel, if you're tempted just... I'm just going to stop trying to advance the gospel in my neighborhood. It's just not working. It's just it feels awkward, and I'm just I'm just going to stop, or I'm just going to you know it's out of this marriage, done with this marriage, or it's just enough resisting sin. I'm just going to throw in the towel and give up and, and succumb. When you're when you're tempted and you feel like you're you're on the brink of of not enduring anymore, what Moses says here is that the problem is you're not at that point seeing Him who is invisible. Just search your heart. You're not seeing Him who is invisible at that point in time. When, when your endurance is weakening, your spiritual sight is diminishing. That's what's going on here. So what do you do? You need to see him who is invisible. Well, that's strange. Think about it, okay? How do you see him who is invisible? Ephesians 1 talks about God enlightens the eyes of our hearts. And again, when you... Set some time aside. You kneel down by your bed or you get on your, on your carpet and just get some time before the Lord with the scriptures in front of you and you say, like we sang that first song, open the eyes of my heart. I'm not seeing you now. All I'm seeing is money. All I'm seeing is greed. All I'm seeing is comfort. All I'm seeing is ease. I'm not seeing you. I'm not seeing the path of obedience is going to mean you. Open my eyes and, and God will come. The Holy Spirit will come. And he will enlighten the eyes of your heart and you will join Moses in seeing him who is invisible. You'll see it. God will do it. One last question. We've talked a lot about overcoming sin. Resisting temptation by faith. Faith is how we overcome sin. Faith is how we resist temptation that comes our way. Okay, so what happens then if you don't overcome sin? What happens if sin overcomes you? Is it like all over? Is that it? Are you like toast? Is it done? Right? No more salvation? If we don't overcome sin, is it all over? That's the last question. And look at what we read in verse 28. By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. 
Do you remember this story, right? This is the last plague that God brought upon Egypt in order to persuade Pharaoh to let God's people go. Remember what the last plague was? That the angel of death was going to come over Egypt and every firstborn son was going to be killed. Except for those homes which had the blood of a lamb, a spotless lamb, whom they'd killed, and the blood of that lamb was painted on the outside of the doorposts of the front door. Those homes that had the blood of the Passover lamb on them, the angel of death passed over. That's why they called it Passover. Okay? So notice, what caused God's judgment to pass over a home was not how successfully they had resisted sin, was not because they'd overcome temptation, was not because of how holy they'd been. That was not the basis for which God passed over them with judgment and didn't bring judgment. The basis on which God passed over them in judgment was because of the blood of the Passover lamb. This is all a picture of of pointing ahead to what Jesus Christ would do. Jesus is the Passover lamb. Jesus' blood smeared on the cross. His punishment paying for our sins. His blood and his perfect righteousness, that's the basis on which we can be forgiven from God. Not how much we've overcome sin, but Jesus' death on the cross. So here's what this means. Resist temptation. Fight temptation by faith. Powerfully say no to temptation by faith. And when you fail, turn to Jesus Christ and say, I'm sorry. I trust you. Forgive me through the cross. Wash me clean from that sin. Don't hold that against me because of what you've done. Strengthen me. Help me. And when you do that, yes, you've succumbed to temptation. Yes, you have sinned. And that's grievous and serious. But when you come before the Lord Jesus and say, forgive me, you will receive assurance that all your sins are forgiven, past, present, and future. You'll receive assurance that God is your Father, that you are reconciled to God, that you're in his adopted family, you are saved. The good work he started, he will keep performing all the way until he brings you to heaven, keeps you from stumbling, and that God is your joy. He is your treasure. He will assure you that all of this is true because you've looked to Jesus by faith, which attaches you to what he's done on the cross, which is how you were forgiven. The basis on which you are saved is not how successfully you have fought against sin. The basis for being saved is Jesus' death on the cross. So come to Jesus. Receive fresh assurance of forgiveness. And then... Get back in the fight and trust him and fight to overcome sin by faith like Moses did. So that's the point of this passage. We fight temptation by prayerfully seeing all that God is to us in Christ Jesus. And when we see them, we see he's the greater treasure. He's the greater treasure than all of Egypt. Suffering, risk, the path of love for the sake of Christ, the reproach of Christ, following Christ on the path of obedience is greater wealth because I'm going to get God. God's there. He's going to satisfy me infinitely more than that stuff will. So you you choose the path of greater wealth. So fight temptation by faith. And then if you fail, turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. Repent, confess, trust, 
receive, restored, and then get back in the fight. That's the Christian life. Okay, let's stand up. I want to pray this over us. Father, I pray for your power to be poured out upon us right now. I pray for those who right now are feeling the pull of temptation that, that, and maybe it's so strong that they feel that resistance is impossible. Oh Lord, I pray especially for them right now. Bring your power upon them, Lord. Help them see Moses as a powerful example of by faith overcoming temptation. Lord, and as they're looking to you, as they're asking you for help right now, I pray that you would strengthen them. I pray that you would encourage them. I pray that you would comfort them. I pray that you would enlighten the eyes of their hearts so they would see you in Jesus Christ, your glory, your majesty, your love, your power, your promises, and that they would see that you are greater wealth than any other pleasure you could pursue. The path of obedience is the path of the greatest wealth because you are on that path. Please, Lord, please, by a powerful work of your spirit now, help those who are struggling to see that and to feel that right now. Help them, Lord. Help them. Ask the Lord to do that for you. Ask him. He will. I pray for those who have fought sin just by gritting their teeth not realizing that the path of obedience is always the greater wealth because it's you on that path. Those who've just kind of tried to be stoic and stiff upper lip and just you know, mustering up willpower and discipline and just kind of gritting their teeth. Lord, I pray that, that this passage would completely change how they fight sin. And that they would see that the way to fight sin is by seeing that you are the greater wealth. You are the greater pleasure. You are the greater satisfaction than anything the world could offer. I pray, Lord, that as we here at Mercy Hill, as we head into this week, I pray that as we fight the fight of faith, as Moses did here, that you would give us the joy of seeing temptations overcome. And that as we embark on the path of obedience, risk-taking, loving obedience, advancing the gospel, helping people around us, that as we do that, we would experience you on that path as our greater wealth. So give that to us, I pray. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.